When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Her Hoop Stats WNBA Free Agency Preview. That's the name of this podcast because we don't have a better name. If you have a better name, let us know. I'm Gabe Ibrahim alongside Richard Cohen, and we are going to set up WNBA Free Agency by explaining some of the terms and things that you've already heard because Free Agency actually started on January 1st, and then get into what we think may happen based partly on our mock offseason, which you can go back and find in your feed while you're listening to us on a podcast feed or you're here on YouTube where we're hoping that you're subscribed on whichever thing you're listening to us on and make sure to go to stats.substack.com where you can find all of Richard's work. Richard, how are you doing today? Yeah, not so bad. Looking forward to talking about all of this stuff that I've been trying to explain in however many words you're allowed in tweets these days, but yeah. I feel I, it's getting longer because I, I have been seeing tweets where I'm just like checking out at the end. I'm part of the problem. Um, but yeah, let's get into the biggest uh, thing that has been already happening. And I think people have been reacting to it on Twitter is the qualifying offers have been going out that can happen on June. I mean, sorry, on January 1st until January 14th. And yep. then from January 15th on is where unrestricted free agents and these restricted free agents can start negotiating contracts with not only their team, but other teams. Right now we're in the point where if you are restricted, you can only talk to the team that you're with. And if you're unrestricted, you can't talk to any team, right? Um, I think officially, technically, you're not supposed to even be talking to your own team from oh, really? the 1st to the 14th. But yeah, I mean, everyone kind of talks to their own team all the time. So they've probably been doing that for the last few months, never mind the last few days. And they've probably also been talking to other teams for the Well, past. <laughs> that they're definitely not supposed to be doing, but yeah. All clandestinely, clandestinely. Although players can talk to each other. I'm, I don't think there's a rule. Well, I mean, that. and half of them are playing with each other overseas at the minute. So, yeah. So it's a it's a good bit if you're playing overseas with a free agent that you want on your team. But let's get into the qualifying offers. Um, we have seen some of these accepted. So some players have actually already signed up. But I think we have to pair that back a little bit, that language of them signing with the team. So could you explain what kind of qualifying offers are being given out now with the restricted, the reserved, and uh, what each of those mean for uh, the player? So let's start with the reserve. What's a reserve qualifying offer and what does it mean for the player? 
Right, you become a reserved player if you're out of contract after three or fewer years in the WNBA. So this tends to happen with players who either got cut or international players who signed short term who maybe weren't drafted in the first place mm-hmm. um, because of a rookie scale contract would normally be three years plus a team option. So then you'd get to four years before becoming at a contract. So reserved means that you can't talk to any other teams. The only team that has your exclusive rights is your previous team, which is why those, those are the ones we've seen people sign already because mm-hmm. they're thinking, and in most cases they're right, this is the best offer I'm going to get because the team is under no obligation to offer me anything better. So people like Beatrice Montpremier have signed, have signed it because that was the only offer they were going to get from their existing team. Right. So it's, it's basically a take it or don't play in the WNBA unless some other things, I guess you could negotiate if you're a player. Yeah. Of the stature. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Maureen Johannes kind of did this, although she, she was in a different situation a couple of years ago um, where she re-signed for more than what her reserve qualifying offer would be because she has the cachet of saying, well, I can just stay in France. And yeah. And I think a, f- a few years back, um, Liz Cambage was reserved and obviously her her negotiating position is pay me a lot of money or I'm just not coming at all and in that situation I think she got the max even when she was reserved because they needed to pay her that to get her to show up but generally speaking if you're a reserve player you may as well sign it because that's all you're going to get right and the so here's a list of just a quick list of the players who have accepted their reserve qualifying offers. There's a bunch more out there. I'm not going to list them all because there's a finite amount of time that you guys listen is, to a podcast. There is a free agent list on herhoopstats.substack.com if you go and look for it. Yes. And you can also go to herhoopstats.com and check out all the cap uh, you know, pages yep. and everything. They're so. all there on every individual team and everything. Yeah. Yep. So it, Plenty of resources for you to see all of them. The ones I want to mention, though, are Bridget Carlton, Lauren Cox, Beatrice Montpremier, Natisha Heideman, and Megan Gustafson have all accepted their reserve qualifying offers from the respective teams. What that means, though, right, is that they just get a training camp tryout. This is in no way a guarantee that they're going to be on the roster. Yeah, qualifying offers, apart from we're going to get to core qualifying offers, but um, the ones we're hearing about at the moment, the reserved and the restricted, cannot be in any way protected. So none of this money is guaranteed. And yeah, any one-year contract for the minimum is the definition of a training camp contract. So any accepted reserved qualifying offer automatically becomes a training camp contract. So yeah, these players may or may not make the roster. Some of them obviously, like a Natisha Heidemann, you would fully expect to make the roster, but there, there are no guarantees at this point. Well, and frankly, like Lauren Cox is probably going to make the roster because of the cap situation in LA. Probably Megan probably Gustafson as well. But I mean, because these are minimum contracts, you're sort of at the end of the roster. So yeah. you might be competing with people on the same money for the last few spots on the end of the bench. But yeah. Oh, and that's a, crucial, that's a crucial difference too. The reserve qualifying offer is for the minimum period. There's, there's no, yep. it's just for the minimum. Yep. Uh, as opposed to restricted qualifying offers, which I'm going to have you explain now, that have a certain threshold that have to be met from a team, which has precluded at least one of them from being offered uh, from a player to a team. So for the restricted qualifying offer, could you do the same thing of just explaining what it is, what it means for the players, and in this situation, what the reserve qualifying offer has to entail? Well, again, 
it's mostly procedural just to make a player a restricted free agent rather than a rather than an unrestricted free agent but you become a restricted free agent by being out of contract after four seasons so mm-hmm. most often this happens when a rookie scale contract is completed and it comes to an end so the player is out of contract and the team then gives them this qualifying offer it makes them restricted gives them the, what the WNBA calls right of first refusal mm-hmm. so they can go out and get an offer from anybody but the existing team has the right to then match that take on the terms of every 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 term that you signed under so includes protection includes all the money all the years and they can either keep you or let you walk for those terms some of these are for the minimum and some of them aren't which is why it gets a little confusing mm-hmm. the ones coming off the rookie scale contracts so Kia Nurse for example would be on slightly more than the minimum. They're on 100. The qualifying offer has to be for 105% of what they were on last year, which is slightly more than the minimum. Someone who has just who just has got to four years of experience in the league, but not via the end of a rookie scale contract, which is a few people, that is for the minimum, which is why it gets even more confusing because <laughs> they're both restricted, but they're restricted at slightly different numbers. Right. And the, the saving grace of all of this for you, a fan, is exactly what Richard mentioned. This is mostly procedural. Like, yeah, it would be rare for a restricted free agent to accept their qualifying offer. It gets bandied about in the NBA. And I don't think it's I literally do not think it's ever happened over there. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it's ever happened in the WNBA that a player just didn't get offer, get, didn't get an offer sheet that they were happy with um which could happen if they you know because the coffee sheet has to be multiple years so if you get an offer sheet that is low you maybe want to try to get out onto the market after a year i tried to do this in the mock-off season and it didn't happen so i I don't think it's it's a popular maneuver here among agents so it's really it'd be very rare if it's ever happened that a restricted free agent has accepted their qualifying offer right you wouldn't do it initially, so you won't see yeah. any of them doing it right now. But yeah, in like a month or so, some of the low-end ones maybe haven't gotten any decent offers on the market, then that might end up being the best offer they get, especially if the team who've given them the qualifying offer don't have much cap space, so don't have, really have the capacity to offer them anything better, then at some point they may take it, but they probably won't be taking it anytime soon because there's no need to. And no value in it for them because you might you may as well wait to see if you get something better right um and so here are some again i'm going to list out a few of the restricted qualifying offers that have been laid out not not all of them again you can go find on herhoopsats.com or herhoopsats.substack.com uh so we got maisha heinz allen in washington monique billings in atlanta jordan canada and mercedes russell in seattle lindsey allen in the in indiana and Diamond the Shields with Chicago. All of those players are now restricted free agents. Uh, the players who did not receive a qualifying offer that I found notable, well, Crystal Bradford, we knew she was probably not going to get one. She hasn't gotten one yet. Again, they can be extended until January 14th. However, yep. the team has said that she's not coming back, so I don't expect her to get a, a qualifying offer. But while we're here on Crystal Bradford, she just becomes an unrestricted free agent, right? Yeah, if, if you don't get the qualifying offer, then you become an unrestricted free agent and can sign with anyone for as much as much as the maximum, as little as the minimum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so she, for Brad, for Bradford, it's actually an advantage to not get the qualifying offer. She can go see what she can get anywhere. Yeah, and she probably has actually a, a good amount of negotiating power 
um, just because the season she had last year, despite the uh, issues that, frankly, I don't I mean, to me seem quite, kind of minor when we're talking about basketball. I tend to agree. Yeah. Uh, we also have Kia Nurse and Shea Petty not getting qualifying offers. Uh, you explained the Kia Nurse thing on Twitter. Could you just go through that one more time to talk to talk about why she didn't get a qualifying offer? Well, hasn't yet. Hasn't but yet. Still could, but um, yeah, Phoenix are quite tight in terms of cap space mm-hmm. in that they currently have seven players under contract. But when you have fewer than 11 for a full roster, the the league for cap purposes applies minimum contracts to get you up to 10 in sort of theoretical minimum contracts. And if you add those in, then Phoenix only have around about $65,000 in cap space. And Kia Nurse's qualifying offer would be 73,000-ish. Um, so you can't give a qualifying offer if you don't have the room for them to, in theory, theor- uh, just sign it immediately because then you would go over the cap. So as it stands, they can't give Kia Nurse a qualifying offer. They would need to waive someone like Kia Vaughan or Megan Walker to create the space to do it. Right, and with Kia Nurse probably not playing next year we haven't heard anything like definitive on that but she suffered her injury at a time that would suggest that she's not gonna play next year so definitely not not until sort of late in the season or something like that maybe i suppose it's plausible definitely makes sense for them to keep the power dry for now although the shape petty one is a little surprising because well it's a situation that you have talked about and it's a deep WNBA salary cap nerd space that she Shea Petty could potentially not be eligible for a qualifying offer and not be a reserved free agent. Yeah, have, you, I, have you shed more light on like have you figured that out yet? I I mean I have asked sources to mm-hmm. sort of confirm what I think and they think she is eligible to get a reserved qualifying offer because. It would be at the minimum and would therefore count as a training camp contract if she signed it, which should mean that it doesn't count on the cap and therefore doesn't take them over, even though her qualifying offer would be 72,000-ish. So would also not fit in that same hole that Kia Nurse doesn't fit in. But because it doesn't count on the cap, I think it would still be legal. But don't hold me to that because (laughs) the league sometimes makes up these rules as they go along. So, yeah, I, I think they can make the reserve qualifying offer to Petty if they want to, but I'm not 100%, I admit. Well, luckily, Phoenix has no head coach with which to figure out any of this at the yeah. moment. Um, they have lo- bigger problems than whether or not Shea Petty's going to be on the roster <laughs> in 2022 at the minute, yeah. Uh, and they've said they're going to hire a coach before January 15th, and, you know, boy, I, I sure hope so, because you need one by then at the latest. Well, I mean, arguably you need one by like May and the rest of it you can work out and then just hand it over to someone to coach. But who knows? Well, yes, yes. Uh, the, the Las Vegas Aces situation. I'm, I'm really interested to see how it's going to work out with Bill Lambeer because the situation is not clear, but it kind of seems like Bill Lambeer is going to be the quasi GM for now. And then Becky's going to kind of transition her way in after the NBA season. Uh yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out for free agency. But they, they, they did say they were making Becky the GM as well as the head coach, right. though, didn't they, eventually? So yes. it, 
it does feel weird and you wonder whether they were sliding Bill out or not, you know? I mean, whether they kind of want to move up, like when someone gets moved upstairs because yeah. you, you want someone else to take over, but you don't want to just say, we fired this guy. So, I, but yeah, it's, it's hard to know exactly what's going on from the outside. Yeah, I just don't, I mean, like, is he gonna, like, it'd be really funny if he ends up bringing back Liz Cambage, which we'll, we'll talk about that later, and bringing in someone like Tina Charles to, like, play a three, and now you give Becky Hammond that roster that is completely made up only for Bill Lambier. That is my or, hope. I hope that Or, happens. of course, maybe maybe Phoenix just hire him to take over from Brondello. They need someone. That would, as we've said, that, um, yeah, Tarassi and Lambier on the same sideline would be um, interesting. I, I think it'd be really funny. I mean, there's also like the uh, the 3D chess angle of this of like, well, if we take Bill away, now the Aces don't have someone in charge at the very moment. And I think they have Jennifer Aze's there. Like there's there's a bunch of people there, but not, no one on the basketball operations front uh, as the head coach. I'd actually think about doing that, but then- Yeah, and having lost their, their GM even- beyond Lambeer, yeah. went, who went to uh, Atlanta. So, yeah, you wonder who would be in charge of, like, signing people and making free agent moves if Bill was to walk out the door in the next week or two. I'd, I'd do it if I was in charge of Phoenix, but I don't know who's in charge of Phoenix, and we'll see. Uh, they seem to be down to three other head coaching candidates, so we'll find out. All right, the last thing, though, that I want to bring up on the what has already happened section here before we get into what we think is going to happen Uh Dallas picked up fourth-year options for Bella Allery, Ty Harris, and Satu Sabali. It is an interesting choice uh, because of the timing and because some of the players involved. What happens with the fourth-year option, and why is it surprising that Dallas did this in December? Because as of this draft, so starting with this this group of players, the fourth-year options are guaranteed now. They're protected. So... This is guaranteed money, not in the 2022 season that's coming up, but in the 2023 season is the options mm-hmm. that they're taking up. And the deadline for these isn't until May. So for players like Allery and Harris, who you would think, given how sort of crowded the roster is in Dallas, could potentially be up for a trade in this offseason if a, if a deal came up, you would think you would leave that option in the hands of the team that you might be trading these players to because then they get to decide whether they want them for that fourth season and whether they want that guaranteed money on the books. Um, I am yet to find anyone who can give me a good reason why Dallas did this in December when the deadline is in May. There doesn't seem to be any reason, because all, all of them are playing overseas at the minute as well. So you don't want it to happen. You wouldn't want to, to wish it into existence. But the, these players could get major injuries between now and May. And with Sabali, you'd still you'd take up the option anyway because you'd want them re- want her regardless. With Allery and Harris, maybe that's a, a more complicated and more difficult decision if they got hurt. So, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I haven't been able to find anyone else who it makes a lot of sense to either. It kind of would have been surprising if they picked up those fourth-year options regardless, honestly. Like, even if they did it in May, I would have, you know, I just don't see it with Ty Harris all that much as a, as a WNBA point guard. I don't think she's quite at that level um bella has had her moments but again I, i'm with you it's been inconsistent so even if they did it in may i'd be a little surprised but to do it in december taking off all those options off the table 
is interesting. One thing to note though with the fourth year options is that it doesn't count towards your protected contract count. The six protected contracts that you can give out, those guaranteed fourth years don't apply to that. I'm right, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. You're allowed six protected contracts per team, but those are veteran protected contracts. These fourth years don't count in that total of six. And Bella, Bella's a pretty high draft pick. I, I'm not, uh, I don't know exactly how much money she's going to make in that fourth year, but it's not, it's not insignificant, the decision that they made. Yeah, she'll be making, where is it? Uh, she'll be making 83000 So it's so high hair. So was, that's not insignificant money when we're talking about a salary cap that's, you know, not that huge. So that's, that's, that's an interesting decision out of Dallas. We'll see what happens. They've had their same exact problem that they've had for the past three off seasons since yeah, trading I mean, Liz Cambage. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still in the sort of scheme of things when the max is going to be like 235,000 by that point, mm -hmm. it's obviously a fairly cheap contract, but you're tying yourself into a player who hasn't done that much in two seasons in the league. So it's either money that you then have to waive and count on your cap and work around as dead money, or it's a play you have to keep. And yeah, it does. It, yeah, as you said, in in May it would have been a 50-50 choice. In December, it's just strange. Well, I mean, Greg Big Pad's done a pretty decent job of getting himself out of the messes that he that he created in last offseason. I think uh, I like I like where the team is heading. So maybe there's a plan here. That that's always a possibility that there's a plan that we are have no clue what it is yet, but uh, certainly a surprising decision. So that's everything I have for what has already happened. Do you, is there anything that we missed that you want to talk about in the, in the stuff that's in the past now? No, I think that's about it. But given we've talked about qualifying offers, we should probably talk about core qualifying offers at some point, right. but I think that's on your list. So it, yeah. it is on my we'll, list. We'll, so we'll get to that. No, let's get, let's just do it now. Let's talk about it now. Let's explain what the core qualifying offer is. Um, what day can that be given out? Is that the 14th? It's the same, yeah, same yeah. period of time that you've got to make them in. Okay, so that that can only be done until the 14th. So why in interesting? We haven't had any yet, but um, could you just explain same thing with the core, what it means for the player, and what it means for uh, the team? Well, as we've been talking about with the last two, what it does is make the player a certain designation. It's just that instead of reserved or restricted, you're taking any kind of free agent in theory but generally it's going to be an unrestricted free agent and you are giving them the core offer, which means they become your core player. They get, they cannot talk to other teams or that though we've seen some exceptions to that when you can, <laughs> you can kind of let them, according yeah. to the rule, they then cannot talk to other teams. And the only team they can sign with is you. What it comes with is a one year super max offer. Mm -hmm. which is this year $228,094. The, the player doesn't have to sign that if they don't want to. You, like all of these qualifying offers, you can just sign it immediately if you want to, but there is no requirement to do so. So you get that offer. You can sign for one year at the Supermax if you want, or you can then negotiate with the team for a longer deal and or a cheaper deal if, if you want to. Um, what the players you see it used on are generally the star players because teams don't want to lose them and especially don't want to lose them for nothing. It's not always that you're desperate to keep the player. Sometimes it's just that you want to maximize the value and get something out of them and turn it into a trade rather than a unrestricted free agent walkout. 
I think one thing that's confusing to people, including myself, uh, is when you sign a, a contract pursuant to a core designation. So you get cord then you sign a new contract. And there's only, you only have a, there's a limit on how many times you can be court, how many years you can be yep. for, right? So when you sign that contract, that's for two years, you're now, you count as a team's core player for two years. And those two years count those, both those years count towards your total of years signed pursuant to a core contract. That's yes. correct. Yes. Okay. I'm glad I got the terminology down because I always screw that up when I'm trying to explain it to people. So it's in. It, it, so we're waiting on certain core uh, players. Uh, I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna pull up our um, mock off season to see if I can find the. We had list. a lot of them. We had a lot of core players, and I I think you know for the most part they're pretty on on point with what we expect. Obviously, we're expecting one from Seattle that I think is probably the biggest one of the season, right? It, it, Seattle's core designation will tell us a lot about what's going to happen this offseason um, because they have to choose between coring Brianna Stewart, who's an unrestricted free agent, and Jewel Lloyd, who's an unrestricted free agent. And our mock offseason as the player agent, I was approached to uh, say that Brianna Stewart would come back to Seattle, therefore allowing them to use their core on Jewel Lloyd. I would tell, you know, whoever is in charge of either uh, Brianna Stewart's free agency, don't do that because you want to get your core designation years out of the way as fast as possible, in my opinion. Uh, even if you like a place, you don't know what future you is going to like. But that seems to be the biggest uh, core decision out there. Are there any other ones that you're really, really interested in, in seeing? Well, like you said, Seattle's the most interesting because they've got two star unrestricted free agents. Mm -hmm. One absolute superstar and one... I think Jewel Lloyd has to be considered a star. She's oh, yeah. been all WNBA. Um, the other one where maybe you have multiple options with star or near star players would be Chicago, right. where Kalia Copper and Courtney Vandersloot are both unrestricted free agents. So do you take the star point guard, who arguably the best point guard in the world at this point, who has obviously has ties to the area, maybe likes would want to stay there as far as I, I think owns a house in Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you take the younger player, maybe still on the rise, might have more impulse to leave and call her because you can only, these days you can only call one player. So who knows? I mean, Vandersloot obviously has ties to the Seattle area. So yeah. if, if Sue Bird was to retire, maybe there's a, a, a hole there she would yeah. want to to jump into if you let her become an unrestricted free agent. I was I was the mock GM of Chicago and I picked Copper partly because obviously all, even if you're cord, as we've seen over the years in the WNBA, players can say, I want out anyway. Right. Then you can trade you can still get value for them because it becomes a trade option if you've called them. But I felt like I would annoy Courtney Vandersloot by coring her, basically, and stopping her from becoming a free agent who could then talk to teams and do whatever she wanted. So I called Copper. Um, what, what Chicago are thinking, who knows? But yeah, obviously Copper's the younger player and maybe, maybe the more, more likely to walk if she has the option. 
And there's less incentive for Daniel Sleep to kind of play the situation as I was describing with Brandon Stewart, just because she's older. You know, she's she doesn't have she's still playing great basketball, obviously, but she doesn't have that many years ahead of her. So doesn't it's not as urgent to get those core years out of the way if she wants to. It's more important just to get this contract. And obviously, I think Chicago is going to have a lot more information than us to have about what these players actually want in their lives, especially with Courtney and her wife, Allie, quickly playing on the same team. They're going to know a lot more about that situation and and where Allie stands and what they can do for Allie and what they can do for Courtney and what Kalia Copper wants. Because if I would say Kalia Copper is the player that you really want to keep on this roster because she's going to be the player that's here for, you know, next five to seven years rather than the next three to five with Vanderstein. I, I would also say, however, that star point guards are a lot more difficult to find than sure. good replacement level wing players. Mm-hmm. So maybe your drop off, if you lost Vandersloot to whoever else you could get to fill that spot is more than your drop off from losing Copper to the next replacement wing that you would find to fill that spot instead. Let's talk about Kalia Copper for a second, because I, I do find her, her free agency pretty interesting, because I think coming into this, this past season, um, in terms of the organization, you probably put her behind Diamond the Shields in terms of their organizational assets, as we thought about it before the season. Now, with the finals MVP, the year she had, all the improvements she's made over the past three years, she, she vaults up to that top spot. But I'm with you, like, if you're Chicago there could be a scenario where you say, well, diamonds restricted. We can get her cheaper. Maybe we do have to core Courtney to keep her here and happy. And if we lose Kalia, we can move on to, to keeping diamond and just developing her as much as we think she can develop. Yeah. Like, like you said, it, the extra information that James Wade inevitably has about what they want and how they would respond to, to handling them differently is, is important here and we don't have it. Um, I, yeah, Copper's an interesting player because the way she ended the season and the playoffs she had kind of glossed over a, a fairly ordinary regular season. Mm-hmm. If you look at the numbers, they weren't that great. They weren't that much better than, than she'd had the year before. Um, but they were still a significant step up on what the right. Shields managed to produce last year. So, they don't want to use her and uh, sorry, they don't want to lose her. And I do think she's a max player if she got out on the open market anyway. So yeah, I think Copper's more likely than Van der Sloot, but I wouldn't be massively surprised by by them coring either. I'd be pretty surprised if either of them left, to be honest. You know, teams win championships, good feelings abound, everyone wants to be happy and come back and the celebration and yada yada. So I, I'd kind of be surprised if, if either of them move. Um, to be honest. I mean, the other side of that is maybe you think you've won a title. I've done everything I can here. Why not go where I want to be or go, yeah, yeah. go do what I like at this point. But you know, yeah, we'll that, see. I, 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 there's not, there's just, I feel like that's not a common thing with athletes. Um, I always, I find that interesting. Like, for example, like there's not that many players who are the best player on the championship team and leave the next year. Um, other than we're talking about the NBA now, Kawhi Leonard did it but he's kind of a robot i think courtney <laughs> courtney vandersloot has much more uh emotional depth there uh in terms I mean, of what what she's found for organization lebron did it surely didn't he no he did left he? after we lost after the heat lost. oh yeah he lost 
Yeah. Did he leave Cleveland the year after winning no, the title? No, they, they lost to uh, the Warriors too. Okay. He plans okay. these things out, man. I swear to God. It's like he plans it out to lose. It's like you lose. All right, we're out. Um, I get Maybe. it. I get it. All right, let, let's let's go on to our bigger picture preview stuff um, as we just got into it with Chicago. Um, I do let's let's get into a little bit more of the mock off season and just what we learned from it. You have a whole article on her hoops that's at slipstack.com yep. talking about what you learned from it. Um, but I just want to take like what's your what's your one big takeaway uh overall for how this is gonna turn out from the mock-off season. Ugh. Um <laughs> or one no, off. No, it's just that I thought most of the takeaways were sort of more team specific in that once you start diving into this, you really get a feel for what certain teams can do in that, you know, teams like LA and Phoenix are so full and so close to the salary cap that it's very difficult to make moves unless you can get someone to agree to a trade. And we didn't have many trades Mm -hmm. in our mock-off season. Maybe there are more floating around in the real world, but who knows? And it's difficult to find teams that want to take on dubious contracts and lock up their own salary cap space with players that maybe haven't been wildly successful. Um, We did see, I thought in certain other places, it reflected sort of how much space there is on certain teams that you might not think have that much space left. Like we saw New York making Mm -hmm. big splash moves even after adding Laney and Wickham and Natasha Howard last offseason. There's still plenty of cat space left there. And other teams, sort of Seattle and Atlanta, reflected the sort of duality that I've talked about in multiple articles now, where if you've got lots of cat space and not many people under contract, it's scary to begin with because you might end up with nobody. There might not be anyone who wants sort of who's worth signing to a big contract who wants to come and play for you. But it's also a big opportunity in that you can chase anyone you like, essentially on the open market. You could trade for pretty much any contract you wanted if you've got anything to trade. And so you can potentially end up with a pretty good looking roster at the end of it. So yeah, if you've got lots of space and not many people under contract, who knows what might happen? Yeah. And there, so like you're saying, it is a double-edged sword. Um, but the, I mean, so the three teams that have the most cap space are Seattle, Chicago, and Atlanta, um, all three of them in that same situation. I think though, for a team like Seattle and Chicago, it's really hard to see a way to improve unless what happens in the mock off season happens where Seattle just took all of the good players. Uh, and I swear to God, I did not mean for that to happen as the player. No, I mean, I, I thought that reflected what, you know, some of this stuff is, going to be surprising and wild and potentially more wild than what we managed to produce in the mock um like we saw last year where Mm -hmm. reality was much crazier than the mock version um yeah it it could get it could get interesting and when obviously with seattle and chicago they're expecting a bunch of that space to go to players that they had on their roster last season but both of them still have a bit left over if you only well, Seattle will have a bunch left over, even if they only sign Bird and Stewart and Lloyd. There's still enough left to either chase their own restricted free agents, like Canada and Russell, or to go out and spend that money on other people like Kevin did in the mock. 
um, Chicago are a little bit tighter because they've got a couple of people under big contracts already. Yeah, and both those both those teams, even if they lose out on their own free agents, will still have a good selling point, right? Like Seattle is yeah. going to keep one. Well, Seattle will have the opportunity to keep one of Brianna Stewart or Drew Lloyd because of the core designation. They could force their way out, as we saw with Tasha Howard last year. Yeah. I haven't heard that being expected as of the moment. We heard a lot more about Natasha Howard coming into free agency last year, uh, about the rumblings that she was looking for something else. I haven't, I, I don't know about you. I haven't heard the, the same rumblings with Brianna Stewart. I, I, this time last year, I don't think we'd heard a lot about Howard. I think it started to come out a little later, but yeah, I, I who, who knows? Right, I'm sure there's, some, there's somebody saying I'd rather play there than here, but whether they manage to get that through or whether the team talks them around, who knows? Yeah, so in in the most likely scenario, Chicago Chicago will definitely have Candace Parker as a selling point if they miss out on any of the free agents we just mentioned. And winning, and just winning. win for both Seattle and Chicago, and you know even a team like Washington, yeah. just just having won in recent times is always a, a selling point because I was also GM of Indiana in the mock, and it it's hard to build up from the bottom because teams don't want it. Because good players don't want to come and play for you if you haven't won and you don't have the the proven roster to support them and help them win. Which brings me to Atlanta. <laughs> this is the thing I was thinking about with Atlanta during the mock off season. Is like I was I was hopeful to send players there as the agent because I, I thought mm. you know hey new coach new GM it's a big city in ter- in terms of major markets in the WNBA it's it's one of the biggest. Um, they do. They don't have a great roster at the moment, but they have gobs of cap space. So I just, I feel like Atlanta is in the situation of how can they sell what they have, which is not necessarily currently winning to players that want to win now. Cause I feel like they have a shot at Jewel Lloyd, Tina Charles. I feel like Angel McCautry is like, if I had to pick, I'd say Angel McCautry is going there based on her social media, just cause she's been hanging out in Atlanta a lot with players in the organization like Kenny Carter and Tiffany Hayes. It, it seems like Atlanta is, is angling towards that way. Do you think it, do you think it's going to be successful to, to reel in one of those free agents? Well, like you said, I think Atlanta is attractive to players mm-hmm. and they've obviously got a new coach and a new GM. So they can sort of claim whole new culture, fresh start, all of this. So, because the last year, year and a half has basically been a mess. Mm-hmm. But they can say, "Well, this that's over. We're moving on. Let's start. Let's start again with these new new players that might come in." I I think they've got a chance. It's going to be a matter of who's actually on the open market because, as we've talked about, a lot of players could get cored. And then, is there are there enough players worth spending that cap space on? Because the worst contracts happen. When you get past that top tier, you've still got cap space left. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, well, I might as well give this big contract to that player then because then you, you give them to someone who isn't worth that money and they're, they're stuck on your cap for the next two or three years. And then you can't spend it on anyone else or maybe trade for somebody or anything like that when that opportunity comes along. There's still opportunity cost. And yeah, now, now that the cap is a lot more more complicated and a lot tighter than it used to be in the previous collective bargaining agreements in this league. You have to take that into account and you can't spend on the wrong players just because they're there and you've got space. 
Yeah, and that's something that Atlanta has done better than Indiana, certainly. Um, not not that Indiana is going to be a big free agent uh, destination anyways, but I do think they kind of shot themselves in the foot if they wanted any chance of that. The For Atlanta, they have Cheyenne Parker as their only protected contract, which is not looking like a great contract at the moment, considering uh, did she play at all last year? Briefly before then saying announcing she was pregnant, she recently had the baby. So yeah, yeah, they'll be hoping that she bounces back from from the pregnancy and gets back to the level that we sort of saw at the end of her time in Chicago and can start producing that in Atlanta. Yeah, and Tiana Hawkins got a huge contract as well, but it's unprotected, and it would seem yeah. like she's unlikely to go to go back there. So they they have plenty of spending power. I would love to see them go after. Um, Jewel Lloyd, I, I was that was one of the uh, markets I had circled for her um, in the mock free agency, and it just you know didn't materialize because uh, I, I do think it is a really attractive market for someone like Jewel Lloyd, um, who, who's looking maybe not for just the championship opportunity, but also the opportunity to kind of have her own franchise in a huge city like Atlanta. If yeah, if she wanted to be the star, then then maybe that's one of major options she could go to yeah it's we've seen in both the WNBA and the NBA when you try and leave a successful place to go and then be the star on your own team it doesn't always work out great but if that's what you want if that's your priority above being most likely to win a title then that's fair enough if that's that's your priority right and and I there's also the uh the connections with Tanisha Wright who you know by all accounts, was really a re- really involved with everyone in the Seattle organization her time there and in New York and in the, her various other stops. She's been kind of a, a hub for people to go and hang out. Um, so she has a lot of connections to Jewel, to Tina Charles, to a few other players in the market. So I think there's a good chance that Atlanta could, could improve by a ton. I would say, though, one of the, so one of the question that I was getting at here was which team is in the best position to improve? I would put Atlanta up there, but probably has to be Seattle, right? Well, the thing, if you're going to improve, then it's helpful to be starting from a low point in the first right. place. So in that case, then you maybe put Atlanta above Seattle. But Seattle are certainly in a position to do a lot of stuff. Um, but then they were last year as well. And, you know, I think at, at this point last year, most of us were expecting... Yes. Alicia Clark would go back. Natasha Howard would probably resign, and then they'd be sort of similar to the team that won, that won a title. And then it ended up Howard pushed her way out. Clark signed in Washington, and the team looked rather different. And they ended up making that strange, big, whatever you think of the trade that they made for <laughs> Katie Lou, like Katie Lou Samuelson. Um, so yeah. I'm sure they're hoping to bring Bird, Stewart, and Lloyd back and then reload as well. Whether sort of if, even if they do that, whether the extra money would then go on Canada and Russell or on like we saw at our mock, Tina Charles, Angel McCourtry, Ricardo Williams. Yes. We'll see. Well, and that but, also required uh, um, Sue Bird to take a haircut, which I'm not Sue Bird. So. And ain't my money, so I don't know if she's going to be willing to do that. I'm sure Sue's pretty well off at this point, but yeah, that doesn't that doesn't mean necessarily that you say, well, okay, give me fifty grand, grand less than you can give me. Exactly, and I could do that in the mock off season because it was way more fun for the product. But I'm not sure that would be something that happens in real life. 
Um, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm interested in Seattle and Atlanta. Those are the teams I think are, are really intriguing and have a lot of uh, power here in this offseason. There's a couple other teams, like you mentioned, that are essentially powerless. Los Angeles, uh, Dallas, Phoenix to a certain extent, uh, especially since they don't yet have a GM. Those teams don't just, just don't have the sort of space to maneuver. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're still looking and trying to do things, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like they they would need to make trades, or certain players would need. We we haven't talked about it, but retirements could change things in multiple places as well. Maybe Ali Quigley has talked about it in mm-hmm. Chicago, which would open up more space for them to do things. LA have a couple of players where you you know Ch- does Chinea Guimake want to keep trying to to battle through her injury issues? Right. Uh, is Diana Taurasi definitely coming back for another season in Phoenix? So. Yeah, retire. Oh, no one wants to talk about it in Washington yeah, yet. But sell it on. How how long does that carry on? So yeah, retirements could change the the cap situation in several cities if they were to happen. And teams yeah. would obviously like to know that by January fifteenth, so they know what they're doing. Well, and Christy Tolliver as well is a name you could throw out there. I mean, I don't think so. You could, but she is coaching now. Um, yeah, yeah, for Dallas. So I don't know if she if she wants out. Whatever. So there, there is that, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to bring up the Atlanta Deldon thing because it makes me too sad. Uh, I think it makes all of us too sad. I'll say this: in the three games she played last year, it was electric. It was but, awesome. But it's three games. She's played three basketball games in over two years, which yeah, is is scary for the future. Yeah, and we'll, I mean, we'll see though. She she sounded really hopeful at the end of the season. Um, sounded really hopeful at the beginning of last season too, though. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think that's something's gonna happen in the off season. To be honest, though, I'd be I'd be pretty surprised if that happens in the off season. And frankly, with the uh, number one pick coming to Washington, I think they're in pretty good shape to kind of try to write it out. Um, and when know. you've got over like four hundred fifty thousand dollars still on your contract, then maybe you don't want to retire until trying to keep it going as well. Although Deladon's another player who's uh, she's doing well for herself off the basketball court and on the basketball court. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But she's also one who hasn't gone overseas, no. so she hasn't picked up sort of the, the money that you can get in Russia and things like that mm-hmm. to add on. Yeah, it's all off court. Yeah, no, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm I'm going to go with just being very hopeful and expecting a somewhat full season from Elena Daldon. Let's just say it. Let's speak it into existence. We spoke some I mean, bad things into existence. As one of our writers, Calvin, talked about, recently Washington are an interesting futures bet to try and to do well because if if Deladon happens to get healthy with the number one pick coming in as well then yeah Washington are a very interesting team for 2022 if everything happens to click yeah if they bring back my shines Allen, the Ariel Atkins continues to get better even with Tina Charles leaving as I expect to and we'll get into that in a second I, they still have a pretty good um core to work with uh but let's get it let's get into the biggest name we expect to move um, to be our last topic, but I want to, I want to talk about it. I think Tina Charles is the, the biggest name that I'm like pretty sure is going to move. Cause I don't think Washington can core her. Right. Correct. The, right. So Washington cannot core her. I don't think she necessarily wants to be back just cause she wants to win a title. And this is not necessarily the best title chance due to, all the uncertainty with Deladon. Um, so I'm 
that that to me, Tina Charles is the biggest player that I expect to move. I mean, a couple of years ago, it sounded like Washington was where she wanted to go, right. which obviously we've seen players sometimes want to play in a specific city, but then sometimes winning becomes more of a priority and you'll go anywhere. Because, I mean, the WNBA season is pretty short. So, yeah. you know, if you have to live in Seattle for four months to, to win a championship, then okay, that's it's supposed to be a pretty nice place to go. I haven't been there myself, but... Sounds nice. I, I, I feel like you. I feel like you could you could live with being there for four months, regardless. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a chance that that Charles moves on, and Washington don't have a lot of cap space themselves. So, if they want to spend that on Heinz Allen, then they probably can't keep Charles. And we don't know what's going on with Emma Miesman. But if they wanted to try and keep try and re-sign her as well, then they definitely can't keep Charles because, yeah, they they really only present have room for one major signing on top of who they've currently got whether that's Heinz Allen Miesman Charles or someone else in free agency they no, might I, make tra- they might make trades but we'll see no I definitely think they want to bring back my Heinz Allen so I wouldn't expect a ton of stuff from Washington although we didn't I didn't expect that much last year and they got Alicia Clark uh the other player that I have on, on my expected to move list is Liz Campage uh, she got yeah. bored in our mock off season now we did talk about Bill Ambeer kind of being the pseudo GM, so that kind of that may change things. But Liz just changed agents, so I don't know which way that cuts. I'm gonna go with it's cutting towards chaos, and she's out of there. She's gonna she's gonna go somewhere else. I don't know where that is though. Over the years, Lambeer has been the sort of coach GM who uses the rules and regulations to make the absolute most of his team and his roster. Mm-hmm. So. Even if she does want to be somewhere else, there's still the chance that Vegas caught her in order to just make a value play. Um, Then things get a little more complicated because Vegas would have to agree to a deal with wherever she wants to go if she absolutely doesn't want to be in Vegas again. Um, If Vegas don't want her, there's obviously a certain element of risk in giving someone the core qualifying offer because they could just sign it and then you've got them under contract for $230,000 on your, on your cap. Um, but yeah, I could certainly see her moving. She's obviously talked about LA a lot in the past. Mm-hmm. Getting to LA looks a little bit difficult at the moment because they don't have the cap space for her. So we'd have to find a way to create that. They also, you could argue, don't really need a center. So what? So they only have three yeah, centers I, on the roster, man. They need way more. It depends on what the hell you call a center as well. But yeah, sure. um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see her move, but it could get interesting exactly the process and how we go through everything to get her there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe, I mean, the core situation would be if she gets cored, then there's probably something in the works for, for LA. Um I don't know. She could just be court too and be brought back on the one year. Uh, that that doesn't really affect their, you know, future all that much because they're already tied into Chelsea Gray next year, Kelsey Plum next year, Dierka Hamby next year. Not saying that they want to move on from any of those players in the future, but their contracts run out after next year. So, um, and just to clarify, by next year you mean twenty twenty two, as in this this year, but this upcoming season. Yeah. Yes. On December thirty first of twenty twenty two, these contracts end. Right. Yes. Okay. 
That's what I'm saying. By next offseason, those players will be free agents and, they, and they'll have decisions to make in Vegas. Um, that's, I mean, we talked about a lot. Uh, we have more to talk about. We hope that we're going to have Richard back on. But is there anything we missed that we need to talk about now before, you know, we're probably not going to talk before the 15th um, when free agency starts in earnest. So is there anything else you want to get on the line now before, uh, before we say goodbye? Um, nothing jumps out at me. I would just say on those core offers that Connecticut will probably call John Quill Jones because right. again, too much value to potentially give up. And who else do we think is going to get called? Wasn't, wait, um, isn't, uh, okay. Yeah. So John Quill core. Yeah. Sorry. I have the core designations now from the mock off season. So we have copper in Chicago, Stewart in Seattle, Jones, as you mentioned, in Connecticut, Cambage was cored in the mock off season by Las Vegas and Tiffany Hayes was cored by Atlanta. Yeah, you wonder what's going to happen in Atlanta because the Supermax would feel like an overpay for Tiffany Hayes. Much as I like her, $230,000 is a lot. But Atlanta has so much cap space that they could argue that why not, basically, that we, we're not going to fill up this space anyway with free agents. So if we want to keep Tiffany Hayes, why not pay her two hundred and thirty instead of the 170 we might pay her as a free agent and it makes no difference um and they could also just start, bring her back for one year and then figure it out again because they'll be in a similar situation coming up next year yeah so yeah it might it might happen but we'll see um i think that's about it i don't i don't see any other teams that jump out at me that have players they're likely to put it on we should mention that la and phoenix can't core anyone because their designation is tied up with previous contracts. Brittany Griner in Phoenix and Necker Agumake in LA. But Which is, they don't they don't have major free agents to use it on anyway, so that's probably not really an issue for them. But that is one of the dangers though with the core contracts. Like if you sign if you want to keep someone for a long time, then the core designation kind of works against you. Um, although I would like to see, and I think this is circum circumvention of the cap. But could you like core designate someone, negotiate a contract for longer, and then rescind the core designation before they sign it? I feel like that's cheating. I would it's have something to I look, would try. I would have to look into the CBA to check whether it's specifically ruled as illegal, but it would be circumventing the rules, which I mean, there's basically a catch-all line in the yeah. CBA which says if you try and cheat, then we can say you can't do that. So I doubt the league lets you get away with it, basically. If you could try to sneak, you have to try to sneak it in. Because sometimes the league isn't paying attention. You could just whoop, and then no one notices. I, I mean, as, as you said earlier, it, there's, a, there's value to the player in getting rid of, in, in taking up those years of being under the core, because then they can't call you again at the end of the deal. So to the player, there's value in, in being called when you sign that, sign that contract. Ah, uh, the core designation. It's our own little thing here in the WNBA that no one else has. And it's fine, I guess. I don't know. I go back and forth on whether we need a core designation. That might be a different podcast topic, though. But, I mean, they've reduced and reduced and reduced the effect of it over previous bargaining agreements. The, you can now only be, be cored for a maximum of two seasons in, yes. in the WNBA, whereas it used to be two per team, and I think it was four years mm-hmm. max, something... It was a lot more anyway. So, yeah, they, they do keep reducing it. And presumably at some point we may get rid of it entirely. 
it's it's an interesting concept though. I, I don't I don't actually mind it all that much. It makes our lives a little bit more interesting considering that we don't really have any exceptions to the cap. Uh, certainly not in free agency. We don't have any exceptions to the cap like they do in the NBA to go over and kind of use machinations to make yourself better. So I kind of like it in the core because it gives us a little bit more intrigue. But yeah, we'll we'll see how long it sticks around for. Anyways, Richard, we will have you on again, I'm sure, come February when we have signings and a bunch of crazy stuff happening. Do you have any, are you working on anything now for uh, for hoopstats.substat.com? I should have something coming out next week, which is an explainer on the core designation. So even more yeah. on that if, if everyone wants to read about it. Yeah. There you go, everyone. So after you listen to this podcast, if you're still confused, Richard has you covered Again, herhoopsets.substack.com. I want to remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, or if you're listening on the podcast, subscribe to us there, or do both. That'd be great, because I kind of am in charge of those subscriptions, and you know I want to hang around here more and do more of this. So uh, make sure you do that, and uh, check us out on Twitter, at herhoopsstats. I'm at Gabe underscore Ibrahim. What's your Twitter handle? Richard, uh, Cohen, Richard Cohen one. One. Richard Cohen the first uh over on twitter and that's where you can hear most of our takes on WNBA free agency which we'll be breaking down for the entire next like six to eight weeks possibly longer than that if any of these core designations stick around for that long so for richard cohen i'm gabe ibrahim we'll see you next time on the her hoop stats podcast network